Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. What's shaking, cocktail fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Modern Bar Cart Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Kozlik, and I've got a hell of an interview for you today. Just an awesome conversation with a really good friend of mine, Carly Steiner, who is doing some really exciting things here in the D.C. cocktail and restaurant scene. Now, Carly is not new to the podcast circuit. In fact, she's got another really awesome interview with Alex Luboff and Jordan Wicker, my D.C. neighbors who run the Speaking Easy podcast. So if you enjoy this episode, and I'm certain that you will, feel free to head on over there and check out their interview with Carly as well. But before we jump in here, as always, I want to give you a chance to make yourself a drink. That's right. Today's featured cocktail is, well... Actually, it's not a cocktail at all, but rather a cocktail ingredient. And this particular spirit is called Signani. And it's a really interesting type of Bolivian brandy that Carly and I speak about during the lightning round. And I didn't know a whole lot about it then, so I figured I'd come back home, do a little Googling, see what I could find out. So I'm going to share that with you right now. According to the Virginia Alcoholic Beverage Commission, of all places, Signani has quietly been distilled in Bolivia for nearly 500 years in the high elevation, 6,000 plus foot valleys of the Andes Mountains. The production is strictly controlled and adheres to traditions established by Jesuit priests. Signani is crafted from the floral muscat of Alexandria grape, which takes on a complex and aromatic flavor at these altitudes, thus distinguishing Signani from Pisco, Grappa, or other unaged grape-based spirits. I'll take a second here just to comment that this is a type of brandy, so it's, it's uh, as mentioned here, the muscat of Alexandria grape is the base, and this brandy is then fermented and consequently distilled in kind of the style of an eau de vie or kind of a slightly harsh, but also when done correctly, very fragrant and interesting distilled spirits that can be enjoyed in a lot of parts of the world unaged. So if you do see Signani, specifically Rujero Signani, which is Carly's favorite brand of the eau de vie on the shelves at your local liquor store, then I do recommend that you try it out because she speaks very highly of it. Personally, I have not tried it or not knowingly or recently. So definitely something I'm gonna check out on my own very soon. Now, I wanna take a second just to explain what's going on with Carly's latest project, Himitsu. She gives a, a pretty good overview of, of what it's like to, to go to Himitsu, but doesn't really focus on any of the awards or recognitions that they've gotten. Uh, for example, Himitsu has just been named uh, one of the 50 best new restaurants in the United States by Bon Appetit magazine, which I'm sure you've seen, very popular. And uh, I'm going to read a small overview that was published in the Washingtonian here a little while ago. And I'm going to just focus on the part that highlights the cocktails. It says, Steiner co-founded Sturbard Tending Company, a cocktail consulting company, so naturally her libations star. At Himitsu, she designed creations to be paired with the whole meal. Diners can try multiple drinks thanks to low-alcohol creations like a mix of sake, smoked green tea, pineapple vinegar, and shiso. That sounds delicious. The beverage list runs long and eclectic with a bounty of sherry, Italian Amaro, Japanese beer, classic cocktails, and Steiner's own innovations. Drinkers can linger after dinner hours and try options like the Nickelback Pickleback, which is whiskey, house-made pickles, and their juice that are more suited to late-night imbibing. Some of the things that we discuss in this episode include Carly's journey from under-the-table restaurant worker as a kid to award-winning restaurateur in her 20s. Very young for that, by the way. The most noteworthy cocktails and service experiences she recalls along that journey. A snapshot, of course, of her newest project, Himitsu. 
the value of travel and openness in cocktail learning, the correct dilution percentages of an old-fashioned and a Manhattan, what to drink at a piano bar with Edith Piaf, and much, much more. I hope that you as a listener can kind of identify some of the passion and just the the joy and spontaneity of this conversation because it was really one of those amazing interviews where things are just clicking, we're improvising, we're not just, you know, reading questions off a list and doing a question and answer thing. It's really a conversation about some of the really important values of cocktails and bartending. So I'm going to step out of the way now and just let you soak in this really awesome conversation with Carly Steiner. Hey, everybody. I am sitting here with Carly Steiner of Himitsu. Carly, thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. So I've had a lot of respect for the stuff you've been doing for a long time now. So why don't you give our listeners just a taste of what you're up to now and maybe some of your projects um, in the past couple of years? Yeah, of course. Um, So my background is actually in culinary arts. I started really young. in the kitchen, I was just, I always guess I was doing both front of house and back of house, but um, I would say I probably got into it when I was 12 or 13 years old, and I was working for a, my mom's friend's restaurant, um, you know, slightly illegally and under the table, of course, as we all do as children, And um, but I f- really fell in love with it. I think when I was 15, I knew exactly what I wanted to do with my life, and I was like, I want to, well, I thought I knew. I wanted to be a cook. I wanted to cook for the rest of my life, and... I did that. I went, um, I kept cooking. I went to culinary school at the CIA up in New York. I got my associates and my bachelor's there in culinary arts management. And the day that I graduated, I got a job as a bartender. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I made that, I made that switch really fast out of culinary school, I suppose. Where was that first job? Uh, the first job I got was at mini bar and bar mini by Jose Andres and, um, <laughs> pretty killer first job. Yeah. I know, I know, no <laughs> doubt. And, uh, I'm so grateful for that opportunity. And I still, I still sometimes look back and question if it was real or not. And, um, just really, really grateful. So that absolutely set, um, the trajectory, trajectory, yeah. is that yeah, the right sure. word? Yeah, yeah. I'm We're going to go for it. I'm not a math uh, for my, <laughs> for, for, the the years to come after that and I just think that it was such an odd decision that I made (laughs) to apply for that job and I remember thinking uh, not taking it seriously when I applied for it I remember thinking oh like I'm gonna do this this is a joke but why not and uh, I remember when the first email came back and that's when I immediately switched my thought process into taking it incredibly and very seriously and yeah I like um sometimes when some of the best or most important decisions come out of like absurd premises mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. um so for a little context for listeners uh bar mini mini bar by Jose Andres very prominent very innovative program part of uh that celebrity chef's think food group and the bar has done a lot of pioneering work uh some molecular gastronomical type of focuses occasionally right i would call it slightly avant-garde for sure they 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 do both so they and that's what i liked is that you were able to express creativity there in a way that a lot of other places would not allow because of the extra things that we were able to have um being connected to mini bar but but we were always based in classic cocktail theory we were always based in formatting our cocktails um in in a classic way and so you know they were all in the end variations of old fashions manhattans martinis negronis sours you know high bucks highballs bucks mules etc so um so it was cool and and the people that i was able to work the staff that they brought in right after me was a huge part of why how i you know why i bartend and how i bartend I learned everything from them, you know? Great. Yeah. Were there any, um, I mean, I didn't, I didn't realize coming into this that Jose Andres would be kind of a, even a figure in, in this particular narrative, but besides maybe his just presence and overall influence on the uh, program that you were in, are there any other mentors who helped you fall in love with cocktails? Because, and obviously there's culinary school where you get a love for food, 
uh, the preparation of raw ingredients, the industry. Yeah. Uh, but what about cocktails specifically? I mean, I think that like the the people that I was working with, like I said, were all in a way mentors and and led me to uh, researching Sasha Prochaski and and his methods of um, and how what what he did for our scene and how he took everything and. Uh, put it into a format that we can actually follow and learn and educate others with. So with cocktails specifically, I would say those were the people. Um, I've also, I've always looked up to, there's just been people, I, fe I feel like I've been so lucky in DC to find all these really strong, strong females who own who, business owners that I can look up to and say, oh, that's what I would like to achieve. I would like to be that person um, or, you know, have traits of that person which was such a huge part of leading into Himitsu, right? There was a lot that I learned from other people that I said, I want to do this and, and I want to take that and I want to build these particular infrastructures and be this type of way and, and connect to the community because of this. And so I've had tons of mentors. Yeah. <laughs> like I think everybody is a mentor in some way. You can learn something from everybody. So For sure. Uh, and it seems like, you know, I, at least – when I was first starting to get into cocktails a couple of years ago, you definitely, you know, kind of filled that role for me, at least situationally when we ended up kind of working together. I remember um, the first time that I ever got behind a bar in a quasi-professional uh, capacity. I wasn't even getting paid for it. I just kind of wanted to <laughs> learn more. And, and you were nice enough to let me get behind there. It was an, I don't know if you remember, it was an event at Maketo. I do we, remember that. Yeah. <laughs> I, we were doing some I don't remember the chefs. Was it chef driven or I don't even remember. I want to say it was part of the sherry pop-ups. Yes. Yeah. That's what it was. And I remember you showed up, you had some sort of co2 compressor and <laughs> i got there and you were you were shoving lemongrass into a co2 <laughs> compressor <laughs> like what is she doing <laughs> um i know exactly what i was doing i was just infusing it actually because so you can you can do it to create something with aeration or bubbles but you can also just um it's like a really fast way to infuse something right it just pressurizes it you know and then right. you can strain it right back out and it's it's the same thing as letting something sit for four hours. It's kind of cool. So. Right. Yeah. yeah. Definitely one of those one of those things. That, one of those nice little uh, tricks you pick <laughs> up at culinary school for sure. Right. Um, yeah. No, that was definitely more probably learned uh, at the at, at the mini bar or or in culinary school. Uh, but getting back to just so I was I showed up at the at this really nice restaurant here on H Street in D.C. called Maketo, and Carly was nice enough to just let me go behind this bar not really knowing my background, knowing that I had an interest in cocktails and that I had this little bitters company. And, uh, I remember one of my first learning experiences was when you came up to me and you were watching me make a few drinks or like practice the drinks for the night, or maybe it was the first drink I made mm -hmm. for a patron. And you said, Hey, can I give you some feedback? And the thing that I appreciate most about that was that you asked, um, which is something that until that point, I, I didn't even consider because usually when you get feedback, um, you know, it's just sort of like thrown at you and mm -hmm. you don't get the option for it. But I remember that uh, the specific feedback you gave me was that you, when you're pouring the liquor into the measuring apparatus, the mm -hmm. jigger or whatever it is that you should kind of breathe out as you're, as you're pouring. And yeah. yeah, that was, I've taken that with me ever since. That's awesome. I'm so glad it's so true too. And now it's funny. I do it literally without thinking and I have to now think this is so important that I keep so you know I don't really get behind the bar anymore which is horrifying and sad but I go every once a month at least if not more I do get behind my own bar just to make sure all the systems are working and things that I'm telling um, my bartender to do right I want to make sure that it's the right thing to do and it's it's very hard to just sit back and not and um and forget all these things I don't think I think about that anymore. So it's a really good reminder. That happens you know? a lot to me. Um, yeah. Like I, one of the things that I always like to say is like, particularly when making an old fashioned or a Manhattan or a Negroni or any of those classic boozy stirred cocktails, it's almost like now I black out for 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. And then when I look down, the drink's ready. There's a drink there. And yeah. I don't <laughs> even think about how much I struggled initially to figure out how to stir a drink and how right. to do it properly and even how to hold the spoon. And I think I do it completely different than most people should, but it works for me because I have big hands. I don't really think there's a right or wrong way as long as the dilution and chill factor are appropriate. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah. So it's, yeah, I, I agree. I think that's, that's, it's really interesting when, when that happens. And I think it's, it's fun to look back as somebody who's been practicing for a few years and, and appreciate that. And I'm, I hope that some of the people who are listening to this podcast and trying to learn a few things from it can have that opportunity in a, in a few months to step back and say, wow, I couldn't right, do this absolutely. a few months. So th- I think that's what our podcast is about. But, um, are there any specific cocktail instances where there was just a particularly memorable drink or a particularly memorable service experience where it just it made you kind of step back and say wow this was really above and beyond what can I take from this yes I think and it's always hard when you're put on the spot with um retrieving one particular memory right there's been a few that I can remember so I know that um I know the places that I will go and have a perfect cocktail in DC, right? And for me, one of those places has always been Copycat since it opened. And I and I was I had the pleasure of working with him, you know, at uh, Mar- at Mini Bar and Bar Mini. So I feel like he was definitely one of those mentors for me, Devin. Devin. Mm-hmm. Okay. But um, what I was amazed at there is that they're doing these incredibly perfectly executed cocktails that are diluted and chilled appropriately and balanced and taste perfect and measured every single time in an incredibly high speed well considerably when you look at other cocktail bars right um format and and the way that they just the way that watching them bartend for me is so fun uh just their their execution the process behind the bar that happens that people were not in the industry would not notice like you wouldn't notice that you would just say like wow that was a great drink and but I look there and I'm just like oh my god they're doing so many things that nobody realizes um so and I probably I probably look at that differently now as a business owner yeah, I'm it- looking more at these like systematic approaches I think now and which is good you know but um but maybe I've I think I just appreciate the drink more now, right? That's sitting in front of me. Right. And a little bit less of making sure, like, watching them stir and do they have proper technique. And um, and I, I think now I've also, I've changed so much with with everything. And I think that service now has become so much more important to me than it was even in my mini bar and bar mini days, which, of course, we provided, I think, excellent service. But I feel it more. I feel like I want to have this um, positive energy and these like good vibes every day and put that out. And the, the drink has to be right. Like we were saying measured, perfectly diluted, chilled everything. But if it doesn't come with good service now, I notice that more. Mm. And that's why I think, um, you know, one of my most memorable experiences recently has probably been Masseria. And I have, I mean, I think Julian does incredible cocktails over there. They're thought provoking and, like erotic and just wonderful and everything. It just makes you warm inside to drink one of them. They're so beautiful and perfectly executed. But, but the service there that came with it, I was like, wow, like this is what I like. That's aspirational. Like that's Mm. something that I can take, you know, and try to teach my staff and try to pass that along. I want to make a few just comments on what you've said so far. Uh, Copycat for sure is definitely one of my favorite places to drink, especially because I live fairly close to there. And I agree that when you go up there, you walk up this little set of stairs and you come into a fairly cozy bar. It's in a fairly narrow space. Yeah. They do a good job of maximizing the space and keeping it cozy while trying to get in the most people you can get in there. And occasionally if you go there when it's busy, there's going to be three people deep at that bar. Mm -hmm. And um, for good reason. And when you see the bartenders there start to make a drink, they, they balance the technique, I think also with showmanship. Mm-hmm. Um, because part of it is just each, each bartender has their own kind of unique flair. There's this one guy who's like six and a half feet tall, really long arms. And when he gets shaking with yeah. both arms, it's just <laughs> like a, it's a really cool acrobatic thing to watch. Cause he just shakes the hell out of those cocktails and for some people, it's, you know, the, the stirring with two hands mm-hmm. and timing each correctly. And so I think there's an aspect of 
the execution that is just plain fun to watch regardless of whether you know what's going into the cocktail so that's why i think it's a place where people who know what it takes and people who are kind of unaware who just want a good drink they can all be kind of wowed by the execution so i like and that's and just touching on that you're so right and what but i think what's so cool from our perspective too being in the industry is you you know when they're doing this what what may seemingly look like showmanship it's really just execution that's so cool that it looks like showmanship but really they're just stirring with two hands for efficiency so that they can make more than one cocktail at the same time right they're not actually trying to show off and it's different than you know people who are purposefully flaring right i guess we'll call it and there's nothing wrong with either but i kind of love that dichotomy i love the idea that we think they're showing off and they're not. Right. <laughs> and there's something really beautiful about that. And that does bleed into the service aspect of it because if somebody stirs or shakes two drinks at one time, then you get yours faster. Exactly. Uh, so that's, I think that's great. And these are the things that we're thinking of. And I'm sure you've got a timer on how long you want a drink to take at your bar. And, and of so, course. yeah. Um, so any, any other memorable things before we move on? Did you? Ah, uh, yeah. So, um, I don't know. I think I find so much more pleasure in classic cocktails. I find so much more pleasure by like a perfectly executed old fashioned or even just like a variation of that, you know, Um, and I get really excited. You know, what's really funny. I get really excited when I receive a cocktail and you can see the oils on the top of the cocktail because for so many reasons, it means that it was like an actual, they actually used the garnish for the purpose of which the garnish is for, which nobody nobody really does that anymore. Um, they were, you know, they're always like doing something super cute, or they're sticking it somewhere. It's like, but the whole point is the aromatics of the orange oils, right? And I did have a cocktail. I don't actually remember where I was because I'm, I'm not gonna lie. This was like four bars in, but I, <laughs> but I remember just like this cocktail coming out, and I could see that little slick, that like oil slick, and I got so excited, and I I immediately brought the cocktail to my nose, and I was like. <gasps> Oh my gosh, it's yeah. real. <laughs> this is really <laughs> happening. That tiny little thing changes the entire cocktail, you know? I don't know. For me, that was that was everything. <laughs> right. It's super silly, you know, but I think it's easy to say like, oh, I had this great cocktail with this peppercorn syrup or this, you know, and it's like, yeah, that's cool. And that's that's inventive. But I mean, I don't know. I'm such an execution girl. Like I love. Right perfectly executed things so sure yeah well there's some there's an elegance to it and i think cocktails should be elegant and i definitely at the high levels of what we're doing and pretty much anything it becomes a game of inches rather than miles it's not you know it's not the the big things that you're going to do it's the it's the small things okay i have one more my favorite cocktail that i've drank recently was the first cocktail that my bartender put on our menu because i had done I, I've been doing them, you know, so I like it wasn't because I wasn't allowing him to. He just there was just like it was just a, we just opened and we went right. through we were going through the natural progression of what, what we're supposed to do. And he came to me and he said, I have this cocktail. And I was like, OK, make it. Let's you know, and I tasted it. And I was like, oh, man, <laughs> that's delicious, you know. And uh, it was it's it's honey, yellow chartreuse and uh, mezcal. Mm. Easy. It's an old fashioned. There's nothing to it. It's, yeah. you know, and it's kind of a widow's kissy old oh, fashioned. So it was so good. Just the, the way he proportions the mezcal with the yellow, because those are both two super, super, um, you know, over the top flavors like yeah. that, like that they could both easily overpower each other. And again, going, I know I'm such a dork about execution, but going back to this, the reason that I liked it so much is because he diluted it more than a normal old fashioned and it needed that. It needed yeah. that because it was so potent and it was so herbaceous and smoky and and honey too is is a very you know everything in that cocktail is so crazy aromatic and flavorful and so when he served it to me I was like oh I was like did you uh it's like tell me about your process here <laughs> you know because I'm like I know what I'm thinking but I don't want to say it and put it in his head right and he was like well you know I tasted it and I thought this is really good and I just kept stirring and then I tasted it again. And I was like, oh, this tastes better, you know? And so he's like, I stirred it a couple more times. And I was like, this is it. (laughs) I was like, that's amazing. I was like, it's amazing that you came to that on your own, knowing like only knowing what I've taught you about dilution, but not saying specifically with mezcal, yellow chartreuse and honey, you should 
dilute more than you normally would, right? And so yeah. this, the, uh, I love watching that process happen. It sounds, that based on the way that you're describing the drink and the process, it seems like it's almost like you put three really over-the-top and not argumentative, but like over-the-top and overbearing personalities in a room, and you found <laughs> a perfect mediator to be right. able to come into that room and make them all sit down and shut up and play nicely together. Exactly. And that's a really cool thing. Uh, and I think that's that's part of the craft of, of bartending that really is impressive um, when you can just find somebody who is willing to be experimental enough, mm -hmm. but then just use the fundamentals exactly. in a way that is innovative. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a really great, um, that's a really great description of, of what kind of goes on at, at some of these, the, the really high end places. Um, what I wanted to talk about, and I'll, I'm going to put a pin in something you've talked about dilution a lot and I had a question about ice. So we're going to get back to dilution okay. because I know that's, that's like a pet, a pet, topic of yours and I think <laughs> you can probably do a, a way better job than I can of explaining it and I, I want to mention it because we had an episode on ice where I kind of hinted at it but mm -hmm. didn't get into it but before that since we're on the topic of Himitsu can you talk about what your project is now and I know that there was a trip at some point mm -hmm. to a, a place that might have something to do with it so if you could maybe tell those that are narrative. all true things yeah. yeah those are true things um so yeah so I alongside my uh better half business partner Kevin Tian he uh he and I started Himitsu about 11 months ago and it has just been such a treat and such a delight and I can't even like I really I can't talk too much about the process right now or I'm just going to get emotional but um so he, you know, he does all the food. I do all the front. So he does, he does all of the, um, or back of house and, and I do everything front of house. And so the project is, uh, this, it's so funny. Um, the pro people ask me this question, like, how did you, like, what was your vision? You know? And, and I think I had a vision and he had a vision and we talked about our visions and we were like, well, these are, these are kind of weird together, but I think it's going to work. You know, I think this is going to be a fun, a very fun project. And, so his food is more uh, Southeast Asian, Latin American, Jap very heavily Japanese, um, a little bit of, you know, Korean and Chinese. And like there's there's everything. It's mm -hmm. everything that he is and has been to and has traveled and has loved and found passion for. And um, and the, the front of how the beverage program is the exact same thing for me. It's everything that I love and I have seen with my own eyes and I've traveled and I've the biggest thing is made very personal connections with other humans and taken beverages from that. And I mean, like super specifically, like you'll see a ton of Bolivian influence on my menu. Um, you'll see a ton of Spanish influence on my menu. You'll see a lot of um, just random cocktails from some of my favorite places that I've ever traveled. And then, and then you'll see, just like you'll see a lot of what I mean my personality I think in in the cocktails you know I think it's they're <laughs> they're um they're pretty fun they're a little esoteric you know and they're there's they're playful they're playful and I I think I'm playful so I think that that you really see that in the cocktail menu and you see that in the wine list too I mean it's not the wine list is weird it's not a normal you know I'm not I'm not even hating on Chardonnay but it's a good example like I'm mm -hmm. you're not going to really find a Chardonnay from California on my menu, unless it's done in some crazy esoteric way and I fell in love with it, right? Yeah. So I want people to have two different feelings when they come into Himitsu. I want them to, I want them to, A, I want them to feel like they're living in this weird, there's, or they're sitting in this weird um, house <laughs> of Kevin and I's, right? <laughs> it's like, like you're in our home, right? Not your, it's, it should feel less of a place of business and more of a home. It should feel very comfortable. It should feel like you can be yourself you can dress how you want to dress. Um, all of the sauces are so good, so please pick up the bowl and drink them kind mm. of place, right? Yes. And at the same time, I also want you to be comfortable stepping out of your comfort zone because we're going to do things as a restaurant that maybe a lot of other people aren't doing or haven't done or, you know, and diners might not be used to. There might be things that we do that are peculiar and just like, being open to that and letting that kind of happen while you are there. Because I think if you want to go somewhere for that very regular restaurant um, experience where you know you know you can get, I don't know, a, a cheeseburger and 
and a Coca-Cola, right, or a beverage um, of that sort, like, um, I don't know, even like a Sprite, we'll say something that's like from a tap, right, some one of those fountain taps, like, you can do that, you can go there anytime, right, but we're, we're a different experience, we're something that we might not have things, <laughs> like, we might not have sodas, we might not have coffee service, right, we mm -hmm. don't do coffee service, it's like, there's these things that you're, maybe diners are used to, and we don't do, due to us trying to achieve a different style of service and working within our space limits. I mean, we're 24 seats. Yeah. So small. there's <laughs> intimate. We'll say intimate. It's so intimate. It really truly is so intimate. Um, and I think that's like the third biggest thing about Himitsu is that uh, I love the energy of that place. I mean, it's, it is intimate and you feel that when you walk in the door and I've noticed over the past 11 months, if there's one person having a bad day one diner is like clearly like coming in into the restaurant and has had a bad day like my staff and I do anything to change their day around immediately because it has it can influence the entire restaurant it's just like these these vibes and these this energy that it's hard to not transfer from person to person in such a small place yeah you know and so that's why a huge part of what we do at Himitsu is this, it's an elevated level of service. It's an elevated experience, but it's personal. Mm. And we try to connect with every single person that comes in there. And that's, and I think because we're a small restaurant, we can and we should, right. you know. And we connect with people, of course, with food, with our food and our beverage, but also with ourselves. Like when I say, you know, we we connect with people. I mean that each individual server has a bit of a different style, just like every bartender has a bit of a different style. And I allow them to execute that the way that they want, as long as it fits under the umbrella of our guidelines. Mm. And that's, I, I don't know another restaurant like that, you know, yeah. with that much kind of creative freedom of service. It requires a lot of trust. I think in your, in, in your, in your mission and in the people that you hire. It does. And, and that's why I hire, I've always hired based more off of personality because I can teach skills, but I can't, I can't teach you to have a positive outlook on life, yeah. you know? So, <laughs> so what I'm hearing is kind of in the same way that you were describing your bartender building that drink where just a few more stirs, uh, had this ripple effect of drastically increasing the quality where you're kind of, you're kind of saying that because of the intimacy of the space and because of the nature of your program that, you know, that one person with a bad day can come in and that'll have ripple effects on everything. A hundred percent. And so I think, um, there's also what I'm picking up on is a level of sensitivity to things that maybe when you come into your place, you're getting a place that is a little bit more highly attuned to you as a diner or as a person who wants a cocktail. I think as, I, and I think it's important to use the, the verbiage as a person instead of as a diner, you know? And I think that's the difference is if diners could stop seeing um, the people who are serving them food and beverages as servers, right? And servers could stop seeing the people who are eating the food in their establishment as diners. And we all just saw each other as people. I think there'd be a lot more uh, happiness within restaurants. And For sure. I mean, that's a bigger, that's a bigger topic, yeah, but that's, you know, that's a huge, yeah. yeah. But, but, uh, but that, but we're trying to do that at Himitsu at least. We're trying to start that trend of just, Hey, I'm a person, you're a person. Like sometimes we introduce our names. Sometimes we wait until a couple dishes come out to introduce our names. Like it's, we try to really read every single person that comes in and treat them accordingly, right? Treat them the way that I think they are, what they're looking for. What are you looking for when you come in? So right. we want to give you that. And, and it's the same thing with cocktails. It's just like full circle, right? It's the same thing as, as a good bartender is going to read that person before they sit in the stool. Mm. And it doesn't mean that I, <laughs> you're a psychic and I can say like, Oh, Hello, you've just sat in my stool. You want a martini? Yeah, like yeah. Hello, <laughs> martini to olive shaken. Yeah, that's no, right? no, no, no. <laughs> it's but it's it's definitely more energetic than that and less um, selective of cocktails. But 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 it helps you in guiding them, right? Because right. then you, hey, what are you looking for? Cool, cool, cool. Um, you want something boozy, spirit forward, stirred? Or are you looking for something shaken, more refreshing? Mm -hmm. Cool. Do you like gin? You know, and you can kind of have that conversation in a more natural way, right? Um, 
and give somebody a drink that they really want. Yeah. You know. So talk to me about Japan. Oh, well, that was that was actually before the restaurant. So more recently, I don't know if you know about this trip. Okay, I, I might another not. Trip. Okay. Talk, talk to so me Japan about, was great. Talk to me about international not, travel <laughs> and cocktails. Okay, so Japan was wonderful. Um, don't ask me the names of the bars that I went to because I'm not going to remember. Actually, I just remember one. Bar Rocking Chair was one that was awesome. Uh, there was, but So I actually had the opportunity to go with my dad, and it was super fun. We love going on trips together. It honestly was completely unrelated to opening a restaurant that's incredibly Japanese um, forward. Right. So yeah. I was, I was kind of mis- mis- <laughs> mis- misattributing that to having something to do with that trip. Um, every, no, every single person in my life thought, thought that like I was keeping a secret while I was in Japan and that, <laughs> that I was going to, and I, I wasn't, um, it did seem like reconnaissance did, in hindsight. It, it did, seems like it reconnaissance. Did, it seems a, it's, I think that, you know, it's such a, a tribute to the way that life works sometimes and how cool it is that that happened. But, um, but yeah, so I, I did go to Japan. I got to drink so many cocktails. Oh my goodness. Uh, so many good bars at all the, uh, many of the best bars there. Um, made a lot of cool connections, met some new people, had a blast, ate way too much food, definitely gained 10 pounds, but it's fine. Cause then I opened a restaurant and lost them. So, <laughs> um, but it was, it was phenomenal. And, more recently, though, I actually just went to, for the first time in my life, if you can believe it, because you know how much I love Sherry. I love Sherry so much. I went to Jerez and San Lucar de Bermeda and had a blast. Southern Spain, which I have been to in the past, mm-hmm. um, has always been one of my favorites. But I just never, I think I knew in my head I wanted to make a trip of it. And it was always like the last day. I was like, oh, I could spend a day there. But no, I don't want to spend one day there. Right. So, um I have never been just, I mean, the, the level of just hospitality everywhere I went was absurd. It was so crazy. It was so perfectly execu- It was, it was just, it felt like being in someone's home. Like we stayed at this wonderful place and it didn't feel stuffy, even though it was beautiful and grand, it didn't feel stuffy. She was, the woman who owned it was just amazing and was like this is where you need to go this is where you need to eat and she actually sent we we listened to her because I didn't know anything in in Jerez at that point and it it turns out it's actually one of like the best restaurants in Jerez according to not only people who live in Jerez but also people who live here and um is on like all the top charts and stuff and I I just didn't know this I mean we were just going and we we had the best meal it was like amazing Hmm. um and I got to go to uh mini bodegas i did valdespino and mm. i did gonzalo's bias and i did uh hildogo la gitana and these, these are all famous sherry houses correct these are all famous sherry houses and oh my goodness is that a treat yeah, <laughs> I bet. meeting some of the producers and meeting some of the the managers and the owners and the um the families i mean they're all families mm-hmm. you know and just meeting the families that make these products that i have fallen in love with was so cool and uh i didn't i didn't bring any back this time but i can get most of them here so that was nice yeah 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 Yeah. but it's cool because now i'm selling something too that i have this opportunity to tell a very personal story to people and i think that that's such a better way than just saying this is going to taste like this this and this you know because we all taste differently and i think everything is so um not that I don't give tasting notes because I do. I shouldn't say that, but I do. I think that the story behind it is so much cooler than, than just telling people what it tastes like. Um, yeah. And I also got to go to uh, Santa Bastian and meet uh, the guy who makes Gazzaniaga, which is a dry Basque cider. Oh, and cool! It's phenomenal. It's and that's on the island of San Sebastian. It's uh, no, it's it's in. Um, oh goodness, it's. I want to say it's further away from Bilbao. It's a little bit west. Okay. And then I got to go meet, um, I got to go to Chocolina or Chocoli. Chocoli. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, that was super cool too. So. Yeah. Spelled with an X, interestingly. Yes. Yeah. That, Basque that TX, spelling. Basque spelling. Yeah. I TX love it. sound. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so 
the one I, I don't know if if this is even relevant, but with everything that you've been talking about, <clears throat> I recently listened to a podcast uh, where somebody interviewed the uh, not somebody the founder of LinkedIn interviewed the founder of Airbnb, and he was mm-hmm. talking about how the best experiences are based on stories, and the best stories involve a couple things. They involve somebody going somewhere they've never been, so going on a journey, and then they involve being challenged, and then they involve kind of the conquering of that challenge and then personal growth as a result. And everything you've been explaining about the way you've been traveling and the way that you kind of set up your restaurant, it seems like that's kind of, uh, you know, the the Airbnb guy said that's how he sets up his new trip planning services. You know, he takes people and he wants to challenge them, which it seems like you kind of want to give people a little bit of a different, you know, there's a little bit of uncomfortableness if you're coming in expecting coffee but it's not there. Right. Right. hundred percent. Yes. And so there's that challenge. And then, but there's also, there's also a really famous, uh, tradition, at least in Western literature of the guide, right? That's, that's kind of a, uh, a trope. It was Don, uh, Dante was guided by Virgil through the inferno. And so it seems like at least in your place, you, uh, you have this setup that where you've set up these narratives with the, the menu and this and the, the experience and even the staff that you've surrounded yourself with where, when people come into your um, establishment, they get the challenge. They have a good guide who they can trust and who treats them as a person, as opposed to a, as opposed to just kind of a, a, a number. And hopefully, and I, uh, maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, but I don't think I am. Hopefully, by the end of the experience, they've overcome some challenge in maybe experience something new and they feel that they've grown or had a, some sort of life-changing experience as a result. No, I think you're. De- I think you're completely accurate, and I think I can. I think I've seen that in my guests, in the people that have come to the restaurant um, who maybe did start the night a little kind of weirded out like, oh, you know, we thought this was um, a lot of people come thinking that it's, it's a sushi restaurant. And and I get and we get that a lot. And I think um, I mean, it's not really the people. It's not their fault. It's if you look online and if you look um, at Yelp specifically, um, we're under the sushi restaurants and there's nothing we can do about that because we definitely serve raw fish but (laughs) um but so that's I would say that's the most uncomfortable thing right now that people don't know what to do with the the hot dishes on our menu or the snacks Mm. um and it doesn't happen often now you know I think it happened a lot more in the beginning but the people who stay and commit to the experience leave and they're like this is so much better than I thought like than I thought than any like any sushi restaurant I've ever been to even you know and I'm right. like cool so you like you get it you, yeah. you have to kind of you do you have to let go a little bit and but if you do I think if you do let go with us um you know I can promise that we're gonna do our best to make you feel very comfortable and happy and full and a little drunk yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's, I think you just summed it up really well. So before we jump into our lightning round questions here, ice and dilution, go. All right. <laughs> Everybody makes me do this. I really? love ice. Everybody? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, because I love ice and I get it. So ice and dilution. Okay. So I think by now, many uh, people who are even in the beginning of making cocktails probably understand the difference of um, smaller ice melting faster and larger ice melting slower and why is that important right so in a cocktail we are always looking to achieve balance and I mean that in every aspect you don't want something that's too boozy or too sweet or too sour or too um, bitter or I think most importantly too diluted or not diluted enough and nobody really talks about dilution enough, right? I think they all want to talk about the when they say when most people say balance, they mean the sour versus the sweet versus the the booze. Right. Taste um, taste bud stuff. Taste like bud the, stuff. The, the, totally. The, yeah. Yeah. But none of that even matters if you're not diluting properly because I mean, think about just even just think about sipping whiskey when you put a couple drops of water into it and how it opens up completely changes the aromat like changes the aromatics and the flavor profiles mm-hmm. and it allows you to taste things that you wouldn't taste without it and that's exactly what's happening in the cocktail going back to that conversation of balance the other thing we have to balance is dilution versus i my term for it i totally made this up is chill factor so dilution versus chill factor and 
how do you dilute a cocktail? And I think the old fashioned is a really good example of this or using the old fashioned versus the Manhattan is a good example in this. Okay. How do you chill a cocktail to the proper degree? We'll call it. And at the same time, dilute, um, dilute the cocktail properly. And so, and there's, and it gets even more complicated when we're talking about service too, because if Mm -hmm. something's going to be sitting for 20 seconds and then taken to a table, that's, a 20 second walk away, that's another, you know, almost, almost a minute of more diluting that you have no control over. Mm-hmm. So the best thing you can do as a bartender is learn to have the most control over every aspect you can, because once it leaves your hands, you have no more control. That's it. And so the larger of, uh, the larger piece of ice that we can use, the slower we're going to dilute, the more control we have over the product, over the final product. So, I always prefer stirring on large clear rocks, right? And arguably, you could use, well, not even arguably. If you're at home, I would definitely not use a clear rock because they're really expensive. So, But there's ways to, to get around this, right? So like when we're talking about the actual piece of ice itself, the best ice you can use is large and it has no air inside of it. And if it has no air inside of it, it's also going to melt slower. Right. If it has air inside of it, there's more surface area more things that can touch the ice and melt it faster. And for just for people at home, air basically means the white stuff in the ice, right? Yes. Air means that cloudiness of the ice. You know, in a restaurant setting, we have the ability to get these huge, large blocks of ice in and cut them down into cubes, into squares, into, that's the same thing, and the rectangles and all these, all these different shapes. Um, and so we do. So, so for me, stirring on that large, clear cube, I know I'm in control of that cocktail. I know I have the most control and I can take my time building my shaking cocktails while the rock is sitting there slowly diluting that cocktail. Mm-hmm. And then I'll give it a couple stirs and um and I know that it's getting very cold very fast and diluting very slow. So that's that's important. And I think cocktails should be diluted from 20 to 30% of the entire cocktail, right? So if you have a three ounce cocktail, you want about an ounce of water in there. Cool. That's yeah. a good rule. Just good rule to it's go by. It's a good rule of thumb. It's not always, uh, I'm, you know, it's cocktails. Nothing's sure. always accurate always. Yeah. So, but it's cocktails. Um, so for me in an old fashioned, right, you're looking at about three ounces, at least for me. Um, you want about an ounce of water in there. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, that's, it's a game changer. If you, if people are having trouble imagining this, I would say make to make a cocktail with no ice, make an old fashioned with no ice and stick it in the freezer and take it out two hours later and make a cocktail, make the same cocktail with a in and dilute it, you know, with the ice and taste them side by side. Right. I mean, it's not even comparable. Yeah. It's basically like whiskey that sugar did not dissolve in and then old fashioned. (laughs) It's like sweet whiskey and a cocktail, (laughs) two different things. So um, and so just to touch on one more thing that I, so the science, the geekiness in me that I love. So the difference between the old fashioned and the Manhattan, right? So that the old fashioned, I would argue in a service atmosphere, you want to under dilute it like that at 5% because the ice is in the cocktail. It's going to continue to melt and you don't want to serve something that's watery either. Mm-hmm. And by the time that the cocktail is made and sits there and goes, and here's the big kicker. The service isn't even really the factor. Most people, I don't know. I don't know. This is like not true for me at all, but I've noticed this again, more as an owner and like watching the whole restaurant than I ever did as a bartender. Most people do not pick up their drink for minutes and to take that first sip. That's not me. Because they're (laughs) (laughs) that's not me either. But but pay attention next time you're out because a lot of times people are in mid conversations and so they'll just sit here and now their hand is touching the drink. And if you have a rocks glass, Uh their hand is warming up the cocktail and they're just sitting there. So again, this is why you read your guest. Are they gonna take that first sip? Are they gonna you know, and you dilute accordingly and it sounds like a lot of work, but it's not. It's not when you when it's when everything else is just intuition at that point. 
That's so, such a weird thing to profile someone <laughs> for. You're looking at some well, guy and you're like, someone's this, really is, talking, this is a hand on the old fashioned guy. Sure, yeah. but, but I mean, look how they're holding their water glass. Are they holding their water glass from the top? Or are they holding it from the side? Are they really in depth of a conversation with somebody? Or is, are they making out with somebody at the bar? They're probably not drinking that drink for till they're done making out like three, five minutes later. So like, they're silly things, but, but it's, I mean, that's what I think about, you know, and that's why I will dilute to either 20 or 25 or 30% accordingly. Whereas then you have the Manhattan. It's in a coupe. It's served up. Most people are not putting their hands on it actually, especially these days, which I'm really proud of. Um, they're normally holding it by the stem and it's not going to dilute any more than what you have diluted it to. Mm-hmm. And therefore you cannot under dilute that. Yeah. Because then you're just sending out sweet whiskey. Yep. Right. And you, uh, do you chill your coupe glasses? Definitely. Yes. Yes. And that's that, and that's something uh, for folks at home. These are some of these things are just a little bit difficult to navigate in a home atmosphere, um, like chilling glasses ahead of time. But there are ways to do it, right? Uh, like there are ways to do it. And I, one of the best things I ever learned from somebody is they told me, we bartend to the best of our surroundings. You must bartend to the best of your surroundings, I think he said, which meant that sometimes you're going to have, you're going to be in a place and like Himitsu, I'll give, I'll, I'll even share this. Like at Himitsu, there is not room to chill every type of glassware. So we prioritize, we do that. We bartend to the best of our surroundings. We prioritize coops and we prioritize, I think rocks are in there as well. Because, again, with the hand, freaks mm. me out. <laughs> again, with the hand. Again, with the hand. Um, we don't prioritize highballs. And I'll get to that because I know that people could argue that you're definitely holding that highball with your hand. Sure. But we'll get to that in just a second. Um, and there's no room for those. So I, pu- I put them on a shelf. And I guess I don't have to wait that long to get back to that. The reason is it's a highball. It's a refreshing, it's typically citrusy, easy-to-drink cocktail. And it's not what... I think a lot of people consider the other. So there's like sippers, right? Sippers. Mm-hmm. We, we call them boozy spirit stirred cocktails. Most people call them sippers. <laughs> um, but something served in a highball is typically going to be drank much faster. And occasionally there's going to be some ingredients in there that are refrigerated as well. So they're going to be going in at a cooler temperature than, say, your whiskey. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, that's how I am able to compartmentalize my not being able to chill every every glassware in at, at Himitsu, but you know, we're tiny. We are less than a thousand square feet. Yeah. And there are other things that need prioritizing than chilling our highballs. Mm. And I have to just like move on with my life about that. And I have. <laughs> well, and when you, when you break down all this stuff about ice and all this hyper-technical stuff, I mean, it seems like at the heart of it, you have the human element in the forefront of your mind. And your my reaction to all the stuff that you're saying is that it's it's a bit absurd, admittedly, that totally. you are profiling people based on what they're going to be, how they're going to be touching <laughs> their drink. On the other hand, I think what that speaks to is how just kind and intimate that is. So I, I think I'll leave it at that. I think that's some great feedback about dilution. And folks, if you're interested in learning more about kind of the technical, more chemical sides of ice and stuff like that, check out our Modern Bar cart foundations episode guide to ice whatever just find the ice episode and uh, (laughs) you'll have more there so um i want to jump in because i know that you're getting ready for service soon so i want to jump into the lightning round questions and we can keep these brief um you're a bartender you've been doing this for a while you're going to be tempted to overthink some of these don't overthink them will not overthink cool no promises though (laughs) <laughs> all right we'll start with this what's your favorite cocktail and if you can't pick a favorite cocktail of all time what is a cocktail that you've recently been obsessed with okay can't answer this question without just saying my favorite cocktail depends on my mood in this seasons but that's all i'll say okay. so i'm gonna pick this mood in this season Great. i'm incredibly happy and it's beautiful out and right now i would drink a to fly which is uh the national drink of bolivia with singani lime and ginger spell that well there's two spellings there's c-h-u-f-l-y and there's c-h-u-f-l-a-y hmm it's hmm. like shoe fly or shoe fly shoe fly i think it's shoe fly you should pair that with I think a shoe fly on your menu is i'm pretty shoe fly shoe fly it's like a shoe shoe fly 
Um, and what Singani, uh, can you just describe the flavor profile of that? Absolutely. Singani, I love Singani for the fact that it's, the, the, so the grapes are grown at a higher altitude. And what that does to the actual final, final product is it gives them these incredible floral notes. So it has um, some notes of tequila, some notes of like a pisco. And, and the overwhelming flavor to me is just like this crisp, uh, almost citrusy, floral, unaged brandy. Okay, so it's a it's a it's a brandy, which is so it's grape based, and what proof or percentage is that usually weighing in at? I think forty five. Gotcha. Yeah, don't know. Don't know. Honestly, a question. And Modern Barcart does not have any spirit sponsors, so feel free to drop spirit names. We're I equal love. opportunity. Okay, <laughs> perfect. Uh, I love Rujero Singani. It's my favorite. You can see, like, I use it in all my cocktails at uh, at Himitsu, but. Um, honestly, any Singani that's being drank in America to me is cool. Awesome. Next question. What is your favorite spirit? If you had to pick one desert Island situation and what do you like about it? Okay. Well, I'm not going to say Singani, even though it would be because I just talked about that. So let me pick my second favorite spirit, tequila. Cool. (laughs) I love tequila so much. I think like I love the, I love any agave based spirits. So mezcal as well. Uh, so tall even, but tequila for me, um, and mezcal, can I just say agave spirits or do I have to really? Agave spirits I'm saying agave fun. spirits. I'm bringing three bottles because I can fit them cool. in my one bag in a deserted maybe, island. Maybe you would make <laughs> these. Maybe your deserted island has a lot of agave. Maybe there's lots of agave and, and I can build a hole in the ground and smoke some piñas. Yeah. Yeah. Make some make some mezcal. Uh, and it, they're my favorite because just, I don't know, flavor. I don't know. I've, I don't know why I like things that I like, but I like them a lot. If you could have a cocktail with anyone in the world, past or present... Who would it be? Where would you go? What would you drink? And what would you talk about? <gasps> what? Um, I don't even know. We That's can circle crazy. back to this. Yeah, we Edith can circle Piaf. back to this one. Edith Piaf. <laughs> I'm just, I mean, there's probably, I could probably name 100 people right now, right? Just. I'm just going to say Edith Piaf, uh, classic 50-50 martini, piano bar, uh, Europe. <laughs> Europe? <laughs> Somewhere. Europe. What, what would you talk about? Her life. I just think it's fascinating. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> and who is she? Just large picture context. What was she notable she's for? She's a singer. She's a singer. Yeah. Great. Look her up if you don't know her. She's all, she's amazing. Jazz singer. Mm. Yeah. Jazzy. Jazzy. Cool. Um, are there any books about cocktails that have been particularly influential or enjoyable for you? Oh. Um, Even recently, if you're a big reader. I would say um, if you can pick up any book by Sasha Pajaski, that's going to be a really good place to start these days. Okay. If you could give any piece of advice to someone who's just starting to learn about or experiment with cocktails, what advice would that be for like a home bartender? Okay, this one's real. Don't just throw things together and think that you're a bartender. Um, learn the basics as anything. Like this is like with anything, right? But like, but really learn the basics um, learn technique, learn how to measure, measure every time you should never feel comfortable enough as a bartender to not measure. In fact, um, in my opinion, my humble opinion and, uh, you know, listen to others, but find your own style because you shouldn't just be emulating anybody else's style because that's their style. Yeah. And you got to do you. Yeah, you got to do you. And hopefully we can help people kind of find their own styles. I think this podcast episode is a really great template for folks who are at home listening, uh, just to follow the journey of someone who started at age 15 in getting paid under the table in a family friend's restaurant and worked her way up to finding a style that is so unique that you're now winning awards major awards and recognitions for the first for a restaurant that has only been open for like you said 11 months um so i would say that that is its own unique style and i'm really glad to have just gotten this time to talk to you but i know that you've got to get ready for service so i'm going to end by saying is there any way that our listeners could get in touch with you if they want to either yeah of course check it out or follow you on social so definitely follow on social and uh the two handlers would be at himitsu dc which is h-i-m-i-t-s-u-d-c 
And my personal, um, which you're also welcome to follow, is at Kiss and Drink, which is K-I-S-S-A-N-D-D-R-I-N-K. Super easy, right? And uh, and I email email would be a really appropriate way to reach out for any um, sure. follow up questions. And that's going to be Carly, C-A-R-L-I-E, at HimitsuDC.com. Carly, thank you so much for your time today. It was amazing. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. I just want to remind you that this episode might be over, but the journey and the discussion are just beginning. If you're excited about the content in this or any other episode, please tell us. Follow us on Instagram at Modern Bar Cart for recipes and great product tips, or stalk me personally at Quixologist. That's Q-U-I-X-ologist. You can also like us on Facebook by searching Modern Bar Cart, or hit us up directly via email by sending a note to podcast at modernbarcart.com. That email address, by the way, is also the one that you should use if you've got any cocktail or home bartending related questions you'd like us to address, or if you think you have a unique perspective on the cocktail world and would like to be interviewed for all to hear. I'll see you next time, but until then, drink responsibly and experiment boldly.